Studio. This is the Unnerved Banter. Welcome back to the Unnerved Banter. It's the show where we discuss topics that are strange, terrifying, and sometimes just plain silly. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. If you're more used to the story episodes, this is a little bit different. It's more of a conversational platform. And this week, we'll be going over the terrifying story of Flight 5390. We also discuss if eyewitness accounts of the unknown actually proves anything. I'll be joined again by Jeremiah, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Unnerved Banter. And once again, I have my co-host, Mr. Jeremiah Harlow. Thanks for being here again, Jer. How are you doing? It's a me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, Doing pretty well, Chris. I found the mother load of morel mushrooms today. That's and right. So two years looking, finally found them. Nice. Man, I wish we were still there because then we could fry up some. And I could take a little nibble. That sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. If you've never had some kind of like wild found, wild foraged mushroom, you've got to try it sometime. What are the mushrooms most popular like in grocery stores? What are those called? Button mushrooms. Or Bello? No. Portabella. That's Portabella. Okay, Portabella mushrooms. But anyways. Thank you for tuning in to our shroom cast. Now we're gonna jump into the actual topic at hand. So this is the story of flight BA5390. I will not be referring to that very often because that is a long thing to remember. But here's what happened on that fateful day. On the Sunday morning of June 10th, 1990. 81 passengers boarded a British Airway flight from Birmingham International Airport bound for the coastal resort town of Malaga. Probably saying that wrong, but if you know me, you know I pronounce names very poorly, so get used to it because there's a lot of names coming up here. (laughs) So with passengers on the plane and wheels up on schedule at 7.20 a.m., The aircraft was steadily approaching and cruising altitude as Captain Tim Lancaster and co-pilot Alistair Atchison released their shoulder harnesses and settled in for the three-hour flight. So at this point, as you know, when you're on a plane, there's the seatbelt sign, please stay fastened on the takeoff once they reach altitude, light goes off, you're free to roam the cabin, go to the bathroom, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So the cabin crew then got to work preparing their trolleys with the meal and drinks and services as they do for the passengers. So everyone's calm, everyone's relaxed, everything's going fine on this flight. 13 minutes into the flight, they're currently at 17,300 feet, and all of a sudden, a loud bang came from the cockpit as the internal door burst off its hinges. The cabin suddenly filled with condensation mist, and the crew knew at once that something had gone horribly wrong. I don't know the full science of this, but when you're in the cabin, once a window is broken or something like that, all of that pressure decompresses? Is that is that how I want to say it? Yeah, I think so. 
I don't know the science of it either, but when the door blows off of its hinges, I think most people would guess something's terribly wrong. Yeah, like, at 7.59, Brad Efron, who had had Chipotle before <laughs> getting on the plane, went into the bathroom. Two minutes later, the, t- <laughs> the door blew off of its hinges, filling the cabin with condensation. <laughs> No, not that door. It's a different door. We need <laughs> not the bathroom door. The flight attendants called a code brown. Oh, gosh. He had blown a hole right in the side of the plane. The door between the pilots and the passengers, that door had blown off its hinges. So what happened is a process called explosive decompression. Flight attendant Nigel Ogden, who had just offered the pilots a cup of tea, was the first one to see what was happening. Captain Tim Lancaster had been sucked through a gapping hole where the windscreen should have been. So I want to clarify first off, they're calling it a windscreen. I think it just makes more sense to call it a window. The window in front of the pilot had blown out. So Nigel Ogden, the flight attendant, looks forward and sees the captain sucked out of this window. Okay, he's partially sucked out. His torso was pinned to the outside of the aircraft by the force of the oncoming winds, while his legs were jammed firmly inside the cockpit, and his feet somehow got caught up on the controls of the plane, and it was just barely holding him in place. So any moment now, he's going to be completely sucked out of the plane. And the flight attendant, Nigel Ogden, quickly rushes to him and grabs his legs. So at the same time, all of this wind is getting forced into the plane. The door flew off. Papers are flying everywhere. It's just complete chaos. And so this flight attendant is just trying to keep the pilot from completely being sucked out of the plane. Co-pilot Itchinson had managed to stay in his seat because remember, like, they're, they don't have their seatbelts on. See, that's why I never take my seatbelt off. Yeah, so you might as well have just kept your seatbelt on. It, it really would have um, helped him out in this situation. But the co-pilot managed to stay in his seat and immediately took the controls to try to take control of the plane. So at this point, they're descending at 4,600 feet per minute through some of the world's busiest airspace. The first officer was desperate to avoid mid-air collision and stabilize the air pressure to bring oxygen back into the cabin. So they're so high that, you know, people can't breathe. I mean, including the actual pilot himself who is outside of the plane. They didn't have oxygen masks at this time in this plane, apparently. Is that true, though? Like, they didn't didn't have oxygen masks? So this plane... They may have had oxygen masks at that time, but this plane was already 20 years old. It was Mm. a really old model, and it was about to retire anyways. So this apparent model did not have oxygen masks. And so, yeah, the co-pilot's bringing the plane down. It's a really busy airspace. You know, typically you call in traffic control to get permission to go down in elevation or go up in elevation. There was no time for that. So they just dove down. And within 148 seconds, the co-pilot managed to bring the plane to a level of 11,000 feet. 
So originally we were at 17,300 feet and then he brought it down to 11,000 feet quite quickly. So in the meantime, Simon Rogers and Sue Gibbons, who made up the rest of the cabin crew, tried to calm the passengers, urging everyone to refasten their seatbelts and take the emergency brace position. Prepare to die, basically. The co-pilot called air traffic control, but they could barely hear him because of the roaring winds that were being pushed through the window. One of the other crew then rushed to the front and hooked his arms through the seatbelt of the crew jump seat behind the captain and also gripped onto the pilot. The two men held on and tried to pull him back in, but the suction and wind, it was just too strong. They couldn't pull him in, so they were just barely holding him there. So as the pilot is outside, his body is violently being bashed and flung up against the side of the plane, and the crew is fearing the worst at this point. They're thinking to themselves, there's no way he's alive. So just imagine holding a guy by his legs and hearing bang, 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 and just seeing this guy flailing outside. They could see his head bleeding profusely and his eyes wide open while he was banging up against the plane. Jeez. And there was like a little side window or something where they could see this happening too. So if they lose their grip, he very well potentially could be sucked into the plane's engine that is on the left side wing. Finally, the co-pilot was able to get a hold of air traffic control and ask if they could land at the nearby Southampton Airport. This is the actual conversation between the co-pilot and air traffic control. So air traffic control says, 5390, we've been advised it's pressurization failure. Is that the only problem you have? Uh, negative, sir. The captain, he's half sucked out of the airplane. I believe he's dead. Roger, that is copied. Flight attendants holding on to him as well as they can, requesting emergency facilities for the captain. I, I think he's dead. I love air traffic control's response. Once they say, we think he's dead, air traffic control replies, Roger, that is copied, like very casually. <laughs> uh, Roger that. Um, Captain, half out of plane, understood. That is weird. I don't know. I guess they're just trying to be professional, but if I was air traffic control, I'd be like, say what? <laughs> what? Uh, or, oh, oh no, oh no. But no, they're just like, oh, okay, that's copied. So the co-pilot was able to bring the plane down for a landing perfect landing and then at that point guess how much time it passed uh that's what i was gonna ask if you didn't bring it up i'm gonna guess something like 30 minutes actually yeah that's about flight time that's about exactly how long they're in the air but guess how long the pilot was outside of the airplane 10 minutes 20 minutes Hmm. so they had only been in the air for 10 minutes before that happened about 13 minutes. Okay. So technically it would be like 33 minutes total. Yeah. Um, wow. But the pilot was outside the airplane being dragged, uh, yeah, for 20 minutes, which is kind of an insane, you know, if you imagine going on a roller coaster, like how long does a roller coaster take? Like two minutes, if that, you know, I mean, depending on the ride, of course, but it's exhilarating. I don't know. I hate roller coasters. Do you? I didn't know that. I do. Man, so he was hanging out all the way until they were landed? Like, they weren't able to pull him back in? 
Right. So they tried pulling him in, but the force was just too strong. They couldn't pull him in until they landed. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So they hung on to him the whole time. Hm. Right. Then what? Then what, Chris? Once they landed, and as soon as the aircraft came to a stop, Ogden and Gibbons instructed the passengers to disembark, as usual, off the forward and rear stairs. Emergency services rushed to relieve the crew, still holding on to Lancaster's bruised and beaten body. But to their astonishment, the pilot was still alive. The captain suffered from frostbite and fractured elbow, wrist and thumb, and severe shock. Jeez. Yeah, dude was still alive. So we'll upload a photo on our Instagram with pictures of the crew and everything. But on the side of the plane where the pilot's head was, there's just a splatter of blood because of being smacked up against the plane repeatedly. He was bleeding from his nose and from his head, and there's just a, a splatter of blood on the side of this plane. This guy was just, you know, thrown around like a rag doll. After 20 minutes of being exposed to sub-freezing temperatures and hurricane force winds, Lancaster, the pilot, had lost consciousness. A lot of it he doesn't remember. But when the paramedics finally got to him, and as he was being hauled away in a stretcher, he eventually woke up, and guess what the first words out of his mouth were? Should have put my seatbelt back on. You would think he'd say something like that. I'll take that tea now. Kind of. First thing he said was, I want to eat. Oh. <laughs> okay. I want to eat. So, some brain damage as well then, huh? <laughs> I want to eat. That's what I say when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. Wow, so he was conscious that soon after. Yeah, not too long after he woke up. So he survived? I mean, is that the end of the story? No, there's a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, why do you think this happened? Why did the window break in? I mean, the first thing that came to mind really was the bird thing, but then also that it was faulty. You know, there was some kind of crackage. So what actually happened was, like I said, this plane was like 20 years old. It's an old plane. They're updating things. They're upgrading things, just like you would on an old car. Like, sometimes you have to add a new mirror, you know, new whatever. So not long before that flight, a guy put in a new window, and he put in the wrong size bolts that hold in the window. So these bolts were just a tiny bit smaller, if I understand it right. The guy goofed, okay? The guy goofed real big. Mm-hmm. And everything passed inspection, but apparently that little detail, uh, somehow no one caught that. So if you try putting in like a screw or a bolt into a hole with the threads, you know, sometimes bolts will hold, even though they're not the right size, they'll hold a little bit. But if there's a big force on that, like, I don't know, hurricane-like winds, it's gonna strip and that bolt is not gonna hold. In this case, that's what happened. And then the window clearly came out. Mm -hmm. So the guy that actually made this mistake, he went to the pilot's home with flowers and wanted to apologize to the pilot. The pilot's wife was so angry, the pilot actually sent his wife to another room and they got to talking and he apologized profusely, the guy that put in the bolts wrong. And over the years, this guy and the pilot actually became good friends. Wow. And the pilot himself, after six months, I believe, returned back to his job as a pilot. 
and he retired from it. Also, the crew that was there, they actually returned back to work a couple weeks later. So in the end, kind of a happy ending. No one ended up dying, but most definitely unnerving, especially on the pilot side of things. I wanted to play a news interview. It's a short interview that covered this story back in the 90s. The BAC-111 was flying when a cockpit windshield next to the captain was blown out. As NBC's Dennis Murphy reports, the crew had to move quickly. British Airways Captain Timothy Lancaster is recovering tonight from a fractured elbow, frostbite, and the scare of his life. Lancaster was piloting this British jet. That's his blood by the window. He was on his way from Birmingham, England to Malaga, Spain, when all hell broke loose. His side cockpit windshield blew out four miles up. An explosion, decompression. Lancaster was sucked halfway out the window. Inside the cockpit, flight attendant Nigel Ogden made a flying tackle for the pilot's ankles. He couldn't pull him in. Simon Rogers, the other steward, belted himself to the pilot's seat and got a better grip on Lancaster. Co-pilot Alistair Atchison grabbed an oxygen mask and put the plane into a steep dive. Half in, half out, Lancaster was buffeted by 300-mile-an-hour winds. The temperature was 25 degrees below zero. And his first thoughts was that he should keep breathing. Um, he says that he doesn't uh, recollect being conscious throughout the incident. Um, he did try to shout back to the crew from uh, his position, but he said he didn't think that they were able to hear him. After 15 minutes, the jet made an emergency landing in the south of England with Lancaster still dangling from the cockpit. Rescue crews pulled him out through the window. Some of the 84 passengers had watched it all through the open cockpit door. I could see more than halfway. And they were trying to hold him back and somebody else was trying to bring us in, which he did. We're all back here. The window that blew out had just been installed Friday. British Airways is reviewing its maintenance procedures for the jet. Captain Lancaster posed today with the crew which saved his life. Did he think about dying? It did cross my mind, he said, for a moment or two. In the video, did you see the blood stain on the side of the plane as well? Yeah, that's crazy. I'll put the link to the video in the show notes. I think a lot of people are like me in the fact that every time I fly, there's a little bit of nervousness. It's not my favorite thing to do. There's just this feeling of you're just out of control. Once you get up there, to me at least, it just feels so unnatural. I don't hate it, and it's kind of fun, obviously, seeing all the, the sky stuff. But at the same time, you also just sort of feel like, I'm not supposed to be up here. It's a little bit terrifying, at least to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always that thought in the back of your head. I personally love flying. I've gone skydiving, like... I have no problem with it, but yeah, if you dwell on it and what's actually happening, it's like, mm, yeah, we're not supposed to be up here. <laughs> like, what mm -hmm. are we doing? This is, this is crazy. And flying is, it's a big mental barrier you have to get over. But at the same time too, we jump in cars. That's just as crazy in my opinion, but you don't really think of it because it's part of everyday life. Yeah, statistically, it's like, it's more likely that you get into a car accident, but there's something about that the fact that you're still on the ground that's the that's the weird part for me but actually it's pretty encouraging to hear stories like this where stuff does go wrong and they still make it out well about that there was something else i was going to throw on here you may have heard this on the news i think it was 2018 did you hear about that girl that got sucked out of a window it was a passenger mm -mm. 
kind of a similar situation. I guess an engine on a wing malfunctioned and debris from it flew back and broke a window that a passenger was obviously right next to and she got sucked out of the window and they were holding on to her as well. She was partially sucked out, but unfortunately she actually didn't survive. Jeez. So this has happened before and this was just in recent years. And it'll happen again. I hope not. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, but that was terrifying. And that was because of an engine malfunction and debris from it and everything. Yeah. um, Yeah, pretty wild. So what do you have for us, Jeremiah? What do I have for you? So basically, okay, we're talking Bigfoot sightings. We're talking uh, UFOs. We're talking paranormal or unnerving interactions with something weird. So let's just say 99% of it, even 99.9% is either somebody making it up or somebody's imagining something or misidentifying misidentifying sure um somebody in a costume that still means that there's 0.1 percent that is not that yep and and i would argue a much higher percentage than that like even if you're saying like 95 percent is made up imagined faked or misunderstood that still leaves us 5% of experiences across the board that have to be something. I think that that's super fascinating, especially for any potential listeners who haven't you know, gotten into the paranormal or other podcasts about cryptids or anything like that. It's kind of a, a common concept to hear talked about, but if you haven't listened to other stuff, you may not have heard it. It's really fascinating to me because if you ask almost any person... Do you think truly 100% of all of these experiences are made up or fake or misunderstood? Like truly 100%, like in all honesty. And I would say most people would say that there's not 100% of them that, that would be that way. Because you take the people that are seeing stuff, like let's just say Bigfoot. There's a good chunk of the people that have seen something that are just kind of lunatics, you know, whatever. They're making it up. They know they're making it up. Yep. And then there's a good chunk, you know, they want to see something or they really push the evidence to make it something. Right. But then there's a good chunk also that are just upstanding citizens that weren't trying to see anything, that have no previous desire to look, but just happened to see something that was totally unexplainable. And then so you take a chunk of those people and you say, okay, well, this percentage of them misunderstood what they saw or it was maybe somebody in a costume trying to trick them but even then you still have a percentage that are just truly upstanding sane conscious people that saw something totally unexplainable it's fascinating to me and that to me is is what kind of made me a believer in in a lot of it at the very least to say i don't know exactly what it is but i don't believe 100 percent of it is false right i think back to what you're saying when it comes to witnesses and especially those who have literally nothing to gain they're just normal people completely whether it's someone that sees a cryptid or ufo whatever the witnesses who have nothing to gain they're very down-to-earth people and you know don't want anything out of it they're just being helpful really you know they just they're curious just like we are and the more we talk about it, the more we'll understand what said thing is. Mm-hmm. Another part of this that 
is compelling are those reports that have never been reported because of fear of ridicule most of the time is the reason why people don't talk about it they might share it later on in their life or they might share it quietly with a friend or something like that and they don't want it spread you know a lot of people experience things they'll see something that they can't explain they're afraid to talk about it or if they do talk about it you know they don't want anything out of it they're just sharing what they experience if you've listened to the episode chased by ufo i think this is a prime example the guy that that shared his experience on the podcast if you haven't listened to it go and listen to it he was as much of a skeptic, unbeliever, whatever you want to call it, as anyone. You know, this whole experience terrified him, but he was brave enough to come forward and share his experience, and I really commend him for that. It's not that he was out looking for these things. This light that chased him, you know, it was terrifying. He had nothing to gain. He's a very humble, very down-to-earth guy. Kind of the same with the Sasquatch story that we did, the... Um, Bigfoot at the Boundary Waters, is that the name of the story? I can't remember what you titled it, but yeah. Something like that. Listen to that one also. Same thing. The guy is very experienced outdoorsman, very down-to-earth, very normal guy, has nothing to gain from this story, but he shared his experience. He said if there were a creature to exist and hide anywhere on Earth, it would be there. There's so many places to hide, and it would just make sense for them to to be in that area so mm -hmm. both of these guys they don't fully know what they experienced but they know it was something yeah again i commend them for coming forward because the more we talk about this the better so you think like how many things could be going on out there and we just wouldn't know yep or they just go unseen by anyone literally anyone or maybe some random guy on a street corner yeah he sees some weird thing flying around he's not gonna go write a blog about it he's not gonna create a youtube channel and if he did it probably wouldn't get noticed so there's there could be a lot more being seen than what we're aware of same goes for like bigfoot stuff or whatever i mean i was out mushroom hunting today and they are super hard to see even right underneath your feet and so you get out into some of these super remote areas and you could i don't know i don't know what i think about bigfoot but i think it falls into that just that percentage breakdown of like, okay, there's this many sightings, there's this many people that saw it, there's this many people within that group that are actually reputable sources, there's no way they, they all made it up, there's no way that their stories would coincide over hundreds of years in what they see and what it sounds like, the interactions. When you get into a numbers game, it's almost like there has to be something, you know, I don't know what it is exactly could be paranormal, could be supernatural, could be physical, um, interdimensional, I don't know. But there's something. Um, and that's indisputable. Like, there is something that people are seeing, whether you're talking UFOs or Bigfoot or other stuff. Yep, exactly. Okay, so we're going to do a new segment of the show where we read a review that you guys leave for the podcast. So we're reading reviews from Apple Podcasts. So if you have Apple Podcasts, please feel free to leave a review and we may read it on the podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for the support you've been showing. It's been super helpful and encouraging to see those. So yeah, we thought it'd be fun to read some of those reviews. On Spotify, 
Unfortunately, you can't leave a review except for like a five star, which we really appreciate. If you haven't done that yet, please do that. Again, that helps the podcast get seen more. If we deserve it, you know, we're trying to earn it. We're trying to earn it. Yeah, yeah. But no, truly, it is pretty awesome. A lot of people are like, oh, rate and su- rate and subscribe. But if you've never recorded a podcast, sometimes it feels like you're just speaking into the void. So to have interaction like that not only helps like boost who gets to see the podcast and all that cool stuff, but also it's it's just cool. It feels like, oh, hey, there's actually real people on the other end of this yeah. that are genuinely enjoying what's what's being done and appreciate the work and are part of the, the community. So... It's it's really cool to see beyond just the promotion aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. If you guys want to help out us and everything we put into this, leaving a review, rating it. If you take a minute to do that, we'd really appreciate that. So, yeah, we're going to read a review um, every banter episode. This first review comes from, you know how I am with names, please forgive me, but the username is Green Melamin? Melamine? It's like one word. Green melamine? Green melamine? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, thanks for leaving our review. She left a five stars, and the title is Chilling, but in a fun way. Nice. I've been thoroughly enjoying listening over the past few weeks. I like to satisfy that need for rather spooky stories without feeling truly disturbed. And this fits that niche for me. Still, when I'm not in the workout room listening to this by myself, it keeps me on my toes. Ha ha ha. Although he hits some classic spooky topics hit on by other podcasts, he comes on with stories I've never heard, not to mention there's something compelling about stories of everyday people in wild situations. They're stories you won't really find anywhere else in those cases. Thank you. So much for the review. Green Melamine. Thank you so much for listening. That's that's awesome. Thanks for leaving that review. So appreciate it. Next week, we'll have a story episode. And I think you guys are really going to like it. I'm excited to, to share that one with you. But yeah, Jared, do you have anything to say before we sign off? Thanks for listening. It's been super fun. <laughs>